So last week, uh, we started a new sermon series. It's called Breakthrough. In the five weeks of this series, we're going to be looking at the character traits and the character habits of Jesus that help us to live a breakthrough life. So a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of influence. And uh, last week, David introduced the series uh, by talking about what it means and what it looks like to think others first. Uh, the image that we're working with for this series is that of an iceberg, right? The part that sticks out of the water at the top is, is what the world sees of you. It's how you show yourself to the world. And the part that's below the water is your character. It's what makes you who you are. And so in order for us to be our best selves, in order for us to live a breakthrough life, what's below the surface has to be solid. This week, the character habit of Jesus that we're going to be focused on is expect the best. Now, expecting the best is different than just optimism. Optimism would go in the top 10% of your iceberg. That's part of how you show up in the world. But expecting the best is an attitude. It's a character trait that goes in the bottom 90% and helps make us who we are. The easiest way to think about the difference between optimism and expecting the best is that optimism, while it looks positively at the future, often does so by ignoring present reality. So optimism is a good thing, but it has holes. It has some flaws to it, right? Expecting the best as a part of who we are is about seeing hope. It's about living a life of hopefulness, and it does so while dealing with our present reality. And so we have to believe in our ability to create the future. We have to understand reality while not being imprisoned by that reality, which then allows us to expect the best and see the hopeful potential of our future through that reality. So let me give you an example. Um, every year we take a high school retreat in January. This year was no different. Uh, we loaded up a bus of about 50 uh, high schoolers. We went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for MLK weekend. Our theme this year was Believe, Dream, Do. We focused on Micah 6.8, Amos 5.24, and we paralleled those alongside the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the prayer experiences that we did on Saturday night after our worship service was this dream wall, and I've got a picture of the wall here. I hope you've had a chance to see it. It's hanging up outside the youth center across the hall from our worship space. Uh, and so the question that we asked for this wall was, what kind of world do you dream of? Never mind that we ended the question with a preposition. Corey and I went back and forth trying to figure out a better way to phrase that, but we couldn't come up with anything, so we stuck with it. What kind of world do you dream of? And I want to share with you a few of the things that our high schoolers wrote on this wall, a few things that they dream of. So they wrote, I dream of a world where people are family, where love is rampant, and joy is in every corner. I dream of a world where love and service comes before self. I dream of a world where everyone is loved and embraced for who they truly are. I dream of a world where all voices are heard. 
I dream of a world where everyone knows they are loved. And this other one just says, live to love, which perfectly summarizes what's on that wall. And so I don't know about you, but I see these things, I read these things, and it gives me energy. Right? I can't read the things on this wall and not feel hopeful. Our youth ministry is arguably one of the most diverse groups in the entire church. So of course we've got males and females, we've got a range of ages and experiences, but we've also got youth from uh, at least six different other countries that I know of. We've got youth from Guatemala and Korea and Puerto Rico and, and several others. We have biracial youth, we have gay youth, we have athletes and musicians and drama students and gamers and artists. You name it, we've got it. And because of that, our youth have an amazing grasp on reality. They know what's happening in the world. They see it, they talk about it, they have opinions on it, and yet they're still so very hopeful. The things I read to you are their dreams, and there are 40 more of them on the wall downstairs. Our teenagers expect the best. They're hopeful. And it made me ask myself, am I still hopeful? Are you still hopeful? It's easy, uh, I think, to chalk up their responses on the wall to this sort of idea of youthful dreaming, right? And then we expect that as they get older, circumstances of life will start to make those dreams fade. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we could probably say that's what's happened to most of us, right? Maybe you've been through a divorce and relationships didn't work out the way you'd hoped. Maybe there's something going on at work. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it happens when you watch the news and you see stories of war and murder and drugs and bombings and scandals and executions and everything else. Right? We all have reasons, good reasons, for why our youthful dreams faded in each of us. And so as you face your current reality, is your natural orientation to think, man, I am living a dystopian nightmare? Or to say, where can I find God in the world and in my life? Maybe we shouldn't dismiss the things our high schoolers wrote on that wall as youthful dreaming. Maybe our youth have something to teach us. Are you still hopeful? Do you expect the best? I think about uh, the thieves on the cross next to Jesus, right? You've got two, two people. We can, both as, we can assume that both of them have led lives that are messy at best, right? Whatever they've done, they've now got themselves in the circumstance where they're being crucified and murdered in one of the most gruesome waves ever in history, right? So there is no room for optimism there. And yet one of the thieves still sees hope and still looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know what it was that shaped this guy's character in that way, but the other one doesn't get it, right? He's, he's ridiculing the first one because all he can see is suffering. 
Jesus, of course, sees the hope and an opportunity for redemption. And so which thief are you? Do you see hope? Or has the messiness of reality clouded that dream? Expecting the best doesn't let us ignore reality, but it also doesn't let us be imprisoned by it. It helps us to see hope for the future through our reality. So let me tell you a, a different story. This one you can find in John chapter 21. It's a story about Peter and Jesus. And this is after Jesus had been executed by the state on Friday night and had risen from the, the grave on Sunday morning. The reality that our disciples are facing in this moment is that their rabbi and teacher, who they had devoted at least three years of their life to, has been killed, but now he's alive, he's risen, and if we're honest, we, we, we can assume that they have no idea what that really means yet, right? Jesus is telling them to go tell people, but they're like, what are we supposed to tell people? We're still trying to figure out all this stuff, right? And if you're Peter, you've still got that cloud over your head uh, of uncertainty and anxiety because... Uh, you're the one who denied Jesus three times outside his trial when it mattered most, right? And so your usual enthusiasm and excitement about life has taken a pretty big hit lately. And so in John 21, Peter looks at his friends, at the disciples, there's about seven of them gathered there, and says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to something I know, something I'm good at, something that makes me feel comfortable. And if you remember, uh, about half the disciples were professional fishermen before they were called by Jesus. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing, and his friends go with him. And so they're in the boat, and, and they've got the nets in the water, and they catch nothing. Right? All night long, they catch nothing. Peter tried to go back to something he knew, something that felt good, and now that's not even working. So morning comes, and this group of guys, they've been up all night, they've caught nothing, they have no success, they're exhausted, they're frustrated, and then this, this crazy dude on the beach starts yelling at them before they even have a chance to make their way back to shore, right? The guy's on the beach, he's like, hey, you don't have any fish, do you? And, and they're, they're in the boat, they're professional fishermen, they've been up all night, they're frustrated, and you can almost picture them just standing there thinking, who is this guy, right? And just hoping he's going to leave on his own. That question feels more like a taunt than anything else. And so soon it becomes obvious this guy's not going anywhere, and, and one of the disciples calls back to him and says, no. You know, we don't have any fish. And so the crazy guy on the beach is like, well, psh, why don't you just throw your net on the other side and see what happens? And, ah, man, now if, at this point, if I'm in the boat, right, if I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated, my sarcastic side is going to come out, right? I, I'm a youth minister. I speak sarcasm fluently. And so <laughs> I'm going to be looking at this guy and be like, dude, come on. Like, what are you thinking? Like, We've been up all night with our net on this side of the boat, but all the fish are just like hanging out over here, like looking at us, laughing at us, right? Is that what you think is happening? All right? But of course, the disciples uh, aren't sarcastic people, or at least they aren't when they retell the story to us in the, in the book of John. Uh, and so they take the net and they throw it off the other side, right? 
I'd like to say that this is the point in the story that illustrates expecting the best. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think the disciples threw the net off of this side of the boat, expecting it to sink down, catch nothing. They'd pull it back in. They'd make the guy on the beach look ridiculous, and maybe he'd go home. Right? But instead, you know you know the story, right? The net immediately fills up with so many fish, they can't even pull the net back into the boat. And now they're looking at this guy on the shore completely differently. And so John leads over to Peter and says, dude, I think that's Jesus. And listen to what the, the text says. This is John 21, verses 7 and 8. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked. This is one of those places where you just kind of have to say, I I don't know. Just don't ask. I don't know. (laughs) He was naked. He put on some clothes, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, or came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. Peter dove into the water and swam to shore. And so now, if you put yourself in, in Peter's shoes again, you're in the boat, you're frustrated, you're tired, you're confused, and you hear that it's Jesus on the shore. What are your options, right? The way I see it, Peter had three options. One, he could hide in the back of the boat because he's ashamed of what he did when it mattered most. Two, he can stay on the boat with his friends, try to blend in, and just hope Jesus doesn't bring it up, right? Or three, he can dive into the water, swim to shore, and stand in front of Jesus soaking wet. Peter chooses option three and so he gets to the shore he pulls himself out of the water he's got sand and mud sticking to himself everywhere and the first thing he sees is this charcoal fire that Jesus has made right and smells have this powerful connection to memory and so as soon as he sees this fire and smells this fire he's going to be taken back to the last time that he stood next to a charcoal fire which was in the courtyard outside of Jesus' trial, where he denied him three times. And so Peter's cloud of uncertainty and regret and all those things that are mixed up in there is only growing at this point in the story, right? He's, he's only grow, it's only growing as he approaches Jesus by the fire. And you know what Peter's thinking. We know enough about Peter from these stories. He's thinking, what do I have to do to make this up to Jesus? Right? And, and as he's thinking that, the boat pulls up with all the other disciples. They're getting out. And Jesus says to no one in particular, like, hey, why don't you grab a few of those fish you caught? And we'll throw them on the fire. And so Peter hears this. And, and this is what the text says. This is verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And so the same net, the net that the, all the whole group in the boat couldn't pick up and get back into the boat, 
all of a sudden, Peter's running down the beach. He, like, supermans this thing over his shoulder, and he's world's strongest man, like, dragging this net of fish up the beach, right? He's desperate. So they eat breakfast. They're telling stories. They're laughing. And Peter's just thinking, like, where do I stand in all of this? So finally, after breakfast, uh, Jesus comes to Peter, and the story says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because Jesus said it to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus still has faith in Peter. He restores Peter. He expects the best of Peter. And again, this isn't just optimism. This is a hopeful approach to the future that is fully grounded in reality. Jesus doesn't forget what happened, but he uses that to push Peter into his potential. And Jesus gives Peter work to do. This moment with Jesus and Peter is a great example of Jesus' character habit, expect the best. But remember that our question for today is, do you still feel hopeful? Do you expect the best? And so it's one thing for Jesus to expect the best, right? He's the one we're trying to emulate after all, but it's a whole other thing for us to be able to do this. And so for our moment, the hinge of this story is not with Jesus. It's with Peter. Peter's reality is rough, it's messy, he's unsure, he's anxious, and based on that reality, there's really no room for general optimism. But because he spent so much time with Jesus, and because he's been developing this character trait, expect the best, Peter says yes, and Peter dives into the water. That's the hinge of the story. Because if you remember, this isn't the first time that Peter got out of a boat into the water in pursuit of Jesus. The first time when Peter tries to walk on water, he fails, right? He sinks. But this time, expecting the best allows him to have a completely different attitude. The messiness is still there, the anxiety is still there, but the expectation is different. Peter is the one we can relate to. We know that mess. We know that anxiety. Do we still feel hopeful? Do we expect the best as a part of the foundation of who we are? Would we say yes and dive into the water? That's the opportunity that's in front of us when we expect the best.
the world we live in is crying out for a response. How do we become people with the kind of response that makes a difference? I think about what it looks like to expect the best in our lives, and an example from our church immediately jumps to mind. And so here at Middletown, Dolly touched on this earlier, we practice what's called an open table. And what that means is that every single person in this room is invited to join communion, join us in communion every time we do it. It doesn't matter how long you've been going here. It doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus. It doesn't matter if you understand any of the theology of communion. We don't come to the table for communion because we're perfect. We come to God's table for God's meal because we're imperfect. And God's table is open because there's always room for more. Rachel Held Evans, a prominent Christian writer, says in her memoir that this is what God's kingdom looks like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs, that's us, gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry. Because they said yes. And there's always room for more. That's a hopeful approach. That's expecting the best as a part of the very foundation of who we are as a church community and as disciples. Why would we make people wait to meet Jesus somewhere else when we all know we can meet Jesus at this table? Peter said yes and dove into the water. We're invited to say yes and to dive into hopefulness. When we expect the best as a community, Rachel Held Evans would say that we're throwing open the doors and saying, welcome, come in and eat, there's bread and wine. Because expecting the best remembers that God's kingdom is not for the worthy. God's kingdom is for the hungry. That's hope. In our personal lives, this doesn't mean that all the messiness of reality goes away. But it does mean that we expect to find hope anyway. And then we take that hope into our relationships, and into our workplace, and our interactions with other people. And that's how hope can start to shape our reality. Real change in the world won't happen if we don't face our reality with hopefulness, if we don't expect the best as a part of the foundation of who we are. Expecting the best from God, even in the face of a messy reality, is what gets people to commit their lives to something bigger than themselves. And so I'll ask you one more time. Are you still hopeful? Do you expect the best?